Welcome to Dear Dual Perspective. I'm Dr. Emma Eaton. I'm a registered clinical psychologist. And I'm Dr. Sarah McFinnells, a policy researcher. So we'll answer your questions from the micro perspective of individual relationship dynamics based on Emma's clinical training and the macro perspective of social trends based on Sarah's policy background. You can submit your anonymous questions through the link in the podcast description, and we'll answer one question in each upcoming episode. Okay, so for this episode, we have a really dense and interesting question that... By, by dense, we do not mean stupid. We mean fulsome. Yes. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> no, Submitter no. of this question. I meant like there's lots of information there's and lots here. stuff to talk about here. Mm-hmm. So We love the question. Here is Here we go. I am a mom of two kids and used to follow many parenting Instagram accounts. For my own mental health, I had to unfollow the vast majority of them because I was becoming rather overwhelmed from all the do's and don'ts I was reading as I was mindlessly scrolling. Which, by the way, has skyrocketed now that I am on maternity leave. Never praise your child, God forbid you say good job, never pretend to leave the playground lest you traumatize your child and leave them with abandonment issues, never say no or stop unless they're about to get run over by a bus, never tell your kid to eat their veggies before having dessert or they will end up with disordered eating, etc, etc. I sometimes envy my mother because she didn't have the internet and her parenting was mostly guided by her gut instincts and values. I wonder when we will find out whether the millennial way of parenting is actually better than the way boomers parented. By the way, I am in no way saying that millennials should start spanking their kids. Also, are millennial mums more anxious than our mothers were? Thanks for reading. Okay, over to you, Emma. I, again, thank you so much for your question. I, I think that so many people will relate to this. Uh, this question. Um, And I think just sort of off the hop, there's a few things I wanted to highlight. Uh, One is just re-highlighting that this is something that a lot of people are experiencing. I know I, even as as a psychologist, like with training and background, um, I find that amount of information and amount of conflicting information Mm -hmm. out there to be overwhelming and to to be anxiety producing. Um, And we're gonna get a bit more into that later. I also wanted to say that like, it's also a very vulnerable time to be on mat leave. And it sounds like this might be your second mat leave, but a lot of times when people are on mat leave um, or parental leave, they don't have their usual social circle, Mm -hmm. uh, either because their social circles at work or because some of their friends don't have kids yet Mm -hmm. um, or they're not, they don't have kids the same age, so they're not also on parental leave. Yeah. And so, you know, you're trying to build a new social circle. And then there are these intense camps about how, like, the the philosophy that we have subscribed to mm-hmm. for raising our kids. There's people who are doing so-called attachment parenting. I want to dig into that a little bit later because I think that that is a bit of a misnomer. There's the taking care of babies camp. There's this hey sleepy baby camp. There's like you know, weaning. Yeah. And it's and people are I, I think not because not out of any kind of malice, but because everyone is in this like, okay, this is a new thing and I would like a manual. Like fair mm-hmm. enough. I also wanted that. But also, you know, a, a criticism of any camp, then sometimes people their own insecurities come up and it comes as a criticism of their parenting. Mm-hmm. They've subscribed to that. That's their certainty yeah. thing. And it's very hard to kind of go without any judgment. Yeah, you know, you do you, you know, mm-hmm. but like for your kids. I don't, I think that's really very difficult to do. And so totally. you're trying to navigate 
making new relationships with people who are you're trying to build your village you're trying to you know have have friends who get you in your mm. stage of life that have kids the same age that's like that's kind of a, a sweet like that we got that I was gonna say this right? was this was that this we, came from that and, yeah. and we are lucky right not everyone yeah. gets that and it's such a wonderful thing to have and so you're trying to navigate that you're trying to meet these new people all that stuff you're alone with your thoughts a lot of the time yeah you have a lot of downtime when everybody else is working mm-hmm. and or you're asleep. Also, or asleep you're also not sleeping a ton yourself mm-hmm. and neither is anybody that you're trying to engage with and i know most of us don't feel like we're at our like best selves when we're not sleeping a ton and there's lots of hormone yeah science says you're not at your best self when you don't sleep um but you're trying to like interact with people and making relationships while you're sleep deprived and hormones are going crazy and a lot of parts of your body hurt and Mm -hmm. that all continues for like quite a while Mm -hmm. so i think that's like yeah it is a really difficult time for all those reasons yeah and it can then it can be hard to sift out like what is genuine uncertainty and what Mm -hmm. is just overwhelm right Um, and this doesn't help add to that so I I did kind of want to like just kind of off the hop normalize some of that that there's just a lot contextually going on when you're you know scrolling your phone at 3 a.m and thinking Mm -hmm. oh my god like there's no there's no pathway out of this yeah I just want something that will work and Mm -hmm. nothing works and why am I awake it's because I suck at everything that's the sentiment that happens a lot I think at that time Mm -hmm. What I would like to do here is kind of like step up a little bit and talk about the industry of Instagram and the industry of parenting advice. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, when I was poking around online before this episode, I found a really great blog post on parent.com that talked about like 400 years of parenting advice. So starting with Rousseau and Locke, I guess the English verb to parent was first used in the 1660s, around the same time that John Walmut famously wrote, before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children and no theories. So people have felt like this for a long time. You're always a way better parent before you start parenting. I think that's like a fairly universal experience. So there were a lot of books published by physicians in the 1800s. That's kind of when this really took off beyond just education and how to educate kids. A lot of those books by physicians several hundred years ago blamed women for any problems with their babies classic thank goodness we've come so far yeah (laughs) really great but it was a very interesting read i'll post it in the podcast description but i think what might help this person sort of feel a bit better and also have a bit of a different perspective on their mom saying that she was mostly guided by values and instincts like that may be true but i think people have long been interested in parenting advice a lot of you know pamphlets and books by psychologists by physicians were popular the u.s children's bureau published a pamphlet called infant care in 1914, and that was sent out to millions of parents, and they got 125,000 letters a year from mothers searching for answers about how to raise their children. This was in the US. So I think people have always been looking for this advice. Those letters just weren't public. You didn't see this in the same way before social media. So people were always doing this kind of searching, but they weren't doing it in a way that you would have necessarily seen. And I think too, like Dr. Spock published his very famous parenting book in 1946. It was the second best-selling nonfiction book behind the Bible for like 50 years. And then What to Expect When You're Expecting first came out in 1984, which would have been around the time that our moms would have been reading that kind of stuff. So I think those books and looking for this type of advice has been happening for a very, very long time. So Mm -hmm. I think from that perspective, maybe this person just needs to 
take a deep breath about I'm the only person who's needed <laughs> to, to, to find a way out of this. I'm not guided by my values. I'm not guided by my instincts. Probably nobody has. Everyone's always looking for that manual. And I think that's, that's okay. It's just knowing when you've got enough information and then you can step back from it. For sure. I mean, like, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, mm -hmm. my children are the most important thing to me. I can't think of a worse thing happening than my kids, you know, not growing up to be like healthy, well-adjusted adults. Like it, 100%. it's so important to me. Mm -hmm. it, I, it is the thing I least want to screw up in my life. And, and I, I would, and, and, and everyone wants, everyone wants certainty, but people also are kind of like, okay, people have been parenting for a long time. Surely there's some science about this. Mm -hmm. I'll just go about solving this problem the same way I've solved many of my other problems. Yeah. Like, you know, I needed exactly. to learn how to renovate my house. I got a book on, you just know, watching YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people used to like go to the library, yeah. get a book on insulation. Like, you know, you, like mm -hmm. there's other straightforward, right ways to do things. Absolutely. And why wouldn't you? want mm -hmm. and need a straightforward right way to do the most important thing arguably that you will feel you've ever done totally and i think too like i think we also forget that child mortality up until relatively recently was super super high like we mm. only got the measles vaccines in 1963 like that is within my parents lifetime like they would have been little kids when that came out before that like Major outbreaks happen all the time. Like measles killed 2.6 million children worldwide prior to that. So I think we also have to, like, I think the shift, there's been a shift in the anxieties of parents. We worry a lot less about our kids getting sick and bad things happening to them because of illness. And I think we worry more about academic achievement. Are they going to be like personally fulfilled as adults? Like, I think the shift has been more in that direction. And I think it's a lot more straightforward to be like, do these things so your child doesn't get sick. And there's been a shift now to like do these things so that your child is like a fulfilled and happy and successful adult. And that is a lot harder to measure in many ways and a lot more nuanced and tricky and difficult. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. <laughs> Thank you for those depressing statistics. So depressing. Vaccinate um, your kids. Vaccines are super important. Yeah. And I mean, we like obviously we can acknowledge that like that's a relatively privileged perspective and there's 100%. not everyone in the world right now who's having those yeah. exact same anxieties. I think one thing that that I do want to just talk about really quickly is the idea and theory of attachment mm -hmm. and yes, how please. it gets talked about. Yeah, Instagram has um, ruined that. <laughs> Speaking of things that social media does not discuss super well. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, again, it predates social media in, in a sense, mm -hmm. because there's this there's this concept of like attachment parenting, where that kind of insinuates that like the only way to have a securely attached child is to like co-sleep with them and like mm -hmm. baby wear until they're four. Oh, and, gosh. you know, like, oh, like all of this, all of this stuff that like, you know, for some people, like fantastic, yeah, great. If, you, if if you if this is working for you, like do yeah, it, do fantastic. Um, but it is there's nothing, nothing in the science that says that actually that is what is going to create mm -hmm. um, a securely attached adult. And and for those of you who are listening who don't um, have much of a background in uh, attachment theory, uh, just a quick Cole's notes is that. You can, there are different types of attachment. There's um, the one you really want is secure. And those mm -hmm. are people who are like 
pretty good at emotionally regulating. They can have healthy relationships with other adults. Um, they've got a pretty good self-concept. And then there's some other kinds, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. And those are, are less optimal types of attachment. And, and definitely, you know, they're, they're styles that uh, really go along with early childhood experiences and, and later life experiences as well. And, and they're built, they're basically coping mechanisms mm-hmm. based on like what your attachment developed as a child as a result of the environment that you grew up in broadly. Of course, there's some genetic components and, and things like that. But I think people have really taken this attachment to mean that like you have to like revolve your whole life around your child Mm-hmm. to create this secure attachment because it, the the reality is yes the research does show that if you have secure attachment actually your chances as an adult much much better mm-hmm. the other attachment styles they're they're more difficult yep. it's not impossible but it's more difficult it's just not the case and one thing if you are looking for like a good solid resource on a variety of things that's like easy to read not overwhelming the book Brain Rules for Baby by John Medina, who's a, a neuroscientist. I really like that one because it does give like a good sciencey sort of like this is what attachment is, and these mm-hmm. are the basic things you can do to help create that sort of secure attachment. There's some things just about you know sort of being that safe person, having that consistent style, um, being predictable. But there's a piece in there all about sleep. Mm-hmm. And what he says is basically, yeah, uh, there's no real research saying that sleep training your baby causes an insecure attachment. It just doesn't say that. And here are two ways to go about dealing with this. Mm-hmm. And there's no good evidence to say that one's better than the other. And that was really great mm-hmm. for me as a new mom because I was like, you know, I, I spent a lot of time learning about the issues that not having a secure attachment can can cause obviously mm-hmm. there's lots of things that you have to deal with later in life for that um and i was like really nervous but i was also exhausted yeah and that's having an exhausted mom is not super great for babies or small children no um and yeah so what's like much better for a secure attachment is having like a predictable parent who you know cares about you and like reacts in a safe and predictable manner and being exhausted is not great for that no not i can assure you that i'm much more likely to fly off the handle when extremely tired i think that's pretty normal (laughs) and some people will still choose not to sleep train and and you know that's maybe because it aligns with their own internal values about how they want to be as parents and that's okay too because part of being emotionally regulated is sort of being able to respect yourself and look in the mirror too. Totally. When you're behaving un- outside your values, it's also difficult to maintain emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of wanted to pull apart some of that attachment stuff because there is there is, there is clear science mm-hmm. about stuff that's good for kids. There is. But sometimes it gets really pulled to the extremes yep. and the uh, quote-unquote optimals that just are not, there's no actual great research to bear them out. And it's also good enough is good enough. Mm-hmm. It really is. Uh, attachment, one of the main things in attachment um, research says that like, you just have to be a good enough attachment figure. Mm-hmm. You do not need to be 100% of the time 
gentle parenting. Never raise your voice. Never mm-hmm. do. Those are not. It's not realistic either. Like you are also a human who feels things and gets frustrated. And like showing how to deal with that and repair a relationship afterward is also super important. It's very important from a from a learning perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's also just unnecessary to drag yourself for not having done that stuff. Yeah. So I think one of the things I wanted to mention in this, and I think the piece about attachment styles, which I've mostly seen all over Instagram Mm. lately, unfortunately, the information that's posted about it there is generally kind of bad. And I think a lot of that is because there's no nuance on Instagram. Like you get a max of 10 photos or slides, which could have text on them. And then you get about, I look today, it's 2,200 characters, which is not a lot to write your caption and convey an idea. So there's just not enough space to talk about all the context around this stuff that's important. And I think that in all of the situations that this person named in the question, like getting the kid to eat their veggies, never saying no, like all of that stuff, like the answer really is, it depends. Mm -hmm. And there are too many situations in which sometimes behaving in that way might be appropriate and other times it really wouldn't be to really say definitively in 2200 characters and a couple of photos what is an appropriate response so i think that's the first thing i really wanted to mention was just the way that instagram conveys information is that it's really boiled down to small digestible chunks that are that are lacking all of the nuance and that's important the other thing is that all of those instagram accounts and influencers and those parenting accounts are trying to sell you something a hundred percent and making you feel inadequate And like their product, their sleep consulting service, their how to parent a toddler in a winning way, their book on how to get a picky kid to eat, all of that stuff costs money. And if they can convince you that this will fix all your problems and make your life better, that's really, really good marketing. And so I think they play on that lack of nuance and the making parents, especially moms, feel inadequate in order to sell a product. Yeah. And I, I think like why would they put all that good stuff, all of that contents, all of that context, all of that, like, do this, when, do that, when, think about this, for free on Instagram. They're not gonna. It's not, then would you, why would you buy their $90 baby sleep class that will fix your life? Why would you buy it? And and the ones that, like, the things that are monetized, right? Like the mm-hmm. the reels that you watch or yeah. whatever. There's There's a lot of stuff coming out now about the kids that are in those reels They are not unionized child actors. Mm -hmm. There's no standards. There's no protections for them. And so when you see, I used to follow one Instagram um, about a a Montessori family. I don't know why, because I wasn't (laughs) done none of those things. It was aspirational. Uh, That's what we look for on Instagram. It's very aesthetic. But yeah, I mean, their kid was, you know, cracking eggs and making cookies. It was like two years old and using mm-hmm. all this stuff. And like my kid, like my six-year-old doesn't crack an egg well. Like they're, like that's not. No, but his vocabulary and fun facts about jaguars are astounding. <laughs> He's very good at certain things. But, but like, I don't know what that kid, how many times that kid had to crack an egg. I don't know yeah. what happened when that kid messed up cracking the egg. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened in the hours before and after this, you know, five second clip of this three-year-old, right? And and it's really coming out now that like a lot of the kids that are in those, Mm -hmm. their parents are not saving, putting any of that money generated aside for them. Their parents are like, they're never off the clock. Mm -hmm. 
They're yeah. like, that's not, that's work, that's labor. Um, and they are children mm-hmm. and we have a name for that and it is child labor. Yeah. And, and so, you know, like there might be, there might be times when it's positive. There might be times when it's okay. Um, but one of the influencers I follow recently put a thing up saying like, actually, I'm not putting my kid in any more of my videos because I've noticed that it is affecting my relationship with her. So like I can continue to like make my own and this will affect my bottom line and mm-hmm. whatever. Well, this is because you said too, when we talked about this ahead of time, this is a person who like primarily derives their income from deriving, from generating content yeah. for social media. Um, but I thought it was pretty brave that she mm-hmm. was like, look, like actually um, my this whole thing is about having a good relationship with my kid. Mm-hmm. It's affecting my relationship with my kid and I'm not doing it anymore. Like, I don't yeah. think it's ethical. Um, that is, it is super brave. Mm-hmm. And I read, just to follow on with this, uh, an article, I think it was in Washington Post or something. I'll have to see if I can find it. And if I can, I'll post it in the show notes. But it was kids from the like earlier generation of mommy bloggers from like pre-2010-ish who are now teens and have found all the stuff that their mom shared about them when they were little kids and were really upset and asked for it to be taken down or wanted, you know, felt like it was affecting their self-image as a young adult now and didn't want that content to be available to everybody anymore. Mm. And I think that's also really important, even if it's not affecting their relationship with their kids now, it might in the future, like these things never really go away. They're always going to be floating around online somewhere, even Mm. an old, you know, blogspot post from 12 years ago. So I think that's that is quite you know admirable of her to be willing to to notice that and be willing to take that step back because even in, she's noticing it now but the kid might notice it later and really affect the relationship at a later date. Yeah. So I mean remember that there are there are two products at play here, right? Mm-hmm. One is okay someone's trying to sell you a program or a, yeah. a course or something and maybe some of those are useful. I'm, we're not yeah, here to say that they're fine. not good or that you shouldn't buy them. But remember that the stuff you're buying, you're seeing on Instagram is trying to sell you something. And you, and you make your own decision about whether or not it's going to be useful for you. And that's okay. But don't let it make you feel bad any more mm-hmm. than you'd let an ad on cable TV make you feel bad. Totally. Like, remember, it's an ad. Yeah. The second product is your attention. Mm-hmm. It is your, 100%. you are the product. And Instagram primarily, and, and, and many of these platforms, they're like... You are the product yep. and or your data. Maybe. Yeah. It's it's entertaining for you to watch this and they're harvesting the data and all of those things and selling those things on. And so if you feel like you need to be on these platforms to gather this stuff, actually they're not out like Instagram isn't doing this stuff for you. No. So even though like I I will say, of course, I go on Instagram. I enjoy oh it. I spend I, a lot of time on there. Yeah, I, I, it's a fun place to hang out sometimes. I and I and I found stuff on there that I have found actually quite useful well, for, sure. for me. Same. And I have bought things because of ads on there that ended up being products that were really great and that yeah. I really liked. Like, it's not that it's all bad. It's just go into it with that sort of informed consumer perspective. It's just a bit of buyer beware. This isn't like this is not a peer review journal. And even if the post says research says. Anyone can write research says on a uh, post. And what's the research behind that? Like, mm-hmm. is it just some polling data where they pulled 300 people? Because then it's probably not very good data, but that's still research technically. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole different rabbit hole. Yeah. I also think that another element that's probably affecting this person, and I would argue that as a fellow overstretched elder millennial with little kids, like we're dealing with a lot of stuff. I think there's a temptation that I see a lot in myself and also in my peers that 
we could just optimize just a little bit more, if we could just make things just a little bit better, then our lives would be better and we could do it all. And I think that is like a very tempting impulse. Mm -hmm. It's such a, such a, you know, shiny nirvana. Like if we could just make this work, then everything else will be okay. And I can just keep doing all the things I need to do. I think that that's where the other part of these accounts play into it. If you can just pair it a little bit better, if your baby can just sleep a little bit more, then, you know, everything else you have to do is easier and, and better and you'll be happier. Mm-hmm. And so paying $99 for that baby sleep class seems really cheap in exchange for like an easier, more frictionless life. And part of that's not an unreasonable thing. Like if you are better rested, then it's easier to function while your partner's at work because they have to work. They can't be off at the same time as you or while your other kids at home because you can't get a daycare spot or whatever. Like it is, it's motivated by a really very real need, Mm -hmm. but just optimizing slightly more is probably not going to be the answer, unfortunately. And and you know what? Like if you buy or bought a sleep class or any other thing and you find it helpful, like we're not here to say like, and it's trash. Like, we're not. No, no. But yeah, I think like I definitely there were a number of things that I purchased, especially with my first kid, where mm-hmm. I was like, maybe this will be the thing. I just yes. need one thing to be the thing. Yeah. And it's it is it's a really like kind of going back to that. It's a really vulnerable totally. time, and especially zero to one. Oh, for sure. And you are like scrolling at three a.m. while you're trying to nurse a kid, or because they're up again, and you are feeling desperate and. Mm-hmm. We're not saying it's bad to feel desperate. We're just saying that the people who are marketing these products prey on that desperation Mm -hmm. to sell more of their products. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there is a lot of competing perspectives and you can find an Instagram account or an online article or a website or whatever advocating for any number of different ways to parent effectively and to parent well. I like I think there's there's a lot of information on attachment parenting that I'm already sort of dug into. There's like all this trad wife stuff that's going around at the moment. It's like if you just quit your job and bake bread in a cute dress all the time, your life would be easier, better. Would love to do an episode on like the trad wife to right wing pipeline sometime. Mm-hmm. If anybody has a question about that, that would be really fun. But yeah, like I think there's all of these different approaches and they're so filtered. You're not getting the real story. Like you said, there's you don't know what happened to get that one minute real in the two hours before or the two hours after to catch this like perfect moment. So I think just remembering that all of that stuff is advertising is really, really helpful. And not letting the perfect being the enemy of the good, like your kids are gonna benefit more from imperfect parenting than they would a super stressed out mom who's like walking on eggshells, worried that she's gonna screw them up by insisting that they eat some broccoli before they have a cookie. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that's that's not a good place to be. It's not good for you to guilt yourself and feel horrible all the time because you did something that wasn't perfect. Like, it's just not sustainable. No, and it's not, it's not a performance, right? This mm-hmm. is real life. And I really liked what you said earlier about like, sometimes you're gonna do something and then be like, I'm not proud of how that mm-hmm. came out. and what a wonderful skill to teach your kids totally to be like hey you know a minute ago when i yelled at you you know like i i was frustrated i should have taken a deep breath i didn't like what you were doing there i don't like when you hit your brother yeah and there's a better way for me to deal with this there's a better way for you to deal with this like let's move forward this together a lot of adults emotional skills do that no that's yeah, it took me until I was like quite old to be really good at that. <laughs> I can't, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'll ever be really good at it. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's 
it's okay to just do your best as long as you are doing good enough. So like, like the original uh, question said, like, no, we, we would not advocate spanking your children just because, you know, you're just trying your best. Like, I, I feel like, yes, there is a minimum level here. Yeah. But above the minimum level of good enough, where your children feel safe mm -hmm. and loved and they have the resources they need and they have a parent who is willing to be vulnerable and make those repairs when you do something that you're not proud of, you, you're going to do okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay. And, and I think it's great for kids to know that their parents are human. Totally. People. Oh, that's really important. I wanted to just get into the last part of this question where she talked about when we will find out whether the millennial way of parenting is actually better than the way the boomers parented and also are millennial moms more anxious than our mothers were. So on that last piece, it's kind of hard to say based on the data that I could find whether like clinical levels of anxiety are actually increasing. Mm. There's not really great baseline data. Polling data shows that like most mothers feel really anxious a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these two things are not the same, but I think if you're feeling anxious a lot of the time, you are not alone. That is the truth for a lot of people, especially Gen Z moms are reporting higher levels of anxiety than millennials even. And a lot of the big stress of that is money. Mm. So income is a big stressor. Um, we know from research that food insecurity is a huge stressor for people, especially when they have kids. A lot of people feel like they need more support in these polls and also that there is a lot of pressure um, that people feel whether it's where, where it's coming from is not entirely clear but keep for keeping kids busy with activities maintaining a clean house like all of those things do factor into how stressed people feel and there is this pressure to do those things well or to be perfect and so i think what this listener is experiencing in terms of all of those things is like quite normal and widely yeah. experienced. But I don't know if you have comments on like the prevalence of anxiety or if that's like a thing that factors into this. It just wouldn't be possible to measure mm -hmm. that. There are too many variables, yeah. uh, many of which you've already named, mm -hmm. that contribute to anxiety. One that you didn't was climate anxiety, right? Like oh, yeah. a, the number of people that's who are like, should we have kids at all? Yeah. You know, everything burns down in three years. Yeah. Um, and then once you have kids that that gets pretty real. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are large scale multi-decade studies studying men, huh. um, yep. you know, that like look at like predictors of success, all this stuff over time. Mm -hmm. um, and to my knowledge, no one's kind of done this huge like you'd need thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people from lots of different walks of life yeah. to be able to isolate any of these variables out so like am i more anxious than my mom was i don't know yeah it's also just not a like a useful data point because there are too many things that are different mm -hmm. from like when my grandma was raising her kids to when my mom was raising her kids to when I was raising my kids, some better and some not as yeah, good, right? Like, true. you know, there are, there. I think Huge for <laughs> me as a woman, I, I, I think that there's a lot of things that are better for me yeah. than, you know, things that I've heard about from my mom and grandma when, when they were raising their kids. And 
uh, house prices were a lot lower. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like there's the, like the money thing is a thing. The systemic oppression thing is a thing. There's yeah. a lot of things that could contribute and should contribute to anxiety. Again, like anxiety in a lot of these situations is a normal response and not a maladaptive response. It's, true. it's a thing. It's an alarm telling you something is wrong. And in many cases, these things are wrong. But there's just not going to be a way to say like this way of parenting is better. One, there are too many ways of parenting out there. We can really see that more than ever mm -hmm. on Instagram to know that one way of parenting, again, above that minimum bar is better or worse. Yeah. But like generations more or less anxious, it's just not possible to say, I don't think, um, I think more anxious about X, Y, or Z, we could probably measure yeah. more anxious generally in their lives. Very hard. Yeah, I think, well, and even like we were mentioning, even just the like anxiety of like, will my child make it to their fifth birthday, which is a really good marker that they'll make it to adulthood mm. and not be felled by some sort of horrible infectious disease that we have no treatment for. Like that was a real fear for my grandma and my great grandma that is much less of a fear for me. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're right. Like the you know, will there be a forest fire that wipes out my entire city is a fear that I have that my forebears likely didn't have in the same way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's other things that are significantly less concerning for me. So that's, I think, a really good point. And I'm glad that you highlighted the sort of like ways to measure the success of parenting. Like there's so many factors in terms of like how people are successful or not as adults that I think this is one really important, but it's just one input. Mm -hmm. And so much of it has to do with like, do you have money? <laughs> it's a lot easier to parent better when you have a stable job and income. Yeah. And I think certainly I've noticed even within a, a North American culture, mm -hmm. uh, a variety of markers of like mm -hmm. what success like, is it that you're making a lot of money? Is mm -hmm. it that you've gone to a Ivy League or equivalent yeah. university? Is it that you can regulate your emotions? Is it that you're reasonably content with your life? Is yes. it that you can choose a, a pretty good partner who's yeah. going to be healthy for your life? Like yeah. there's a variety of markers of success and I don't believe that our culture is homogenous in deciding which no. of those is important. I know I can tell you what I think would be important, mm -hmm. but I, I look around at people um, of my generation and I can see there are some people who were raised to believe that other things were important than yep. I was raised to believe. And many of them have achieved those things, but have not achieved some of the other things in those columns. So there is, for me, it's it's very important for my kids to be able to sort of reasonably regulate their emotions, to choose safe relationships, to be, to be a safe person in a relationship, mm -hmm. and to not buy into consumerism, which is very hard to get it get a five-year-old to, to buy into but we're working on it yeah um and have like some reasonable life skills like yeah can you do laundry and not just expect your partner to do it for you right like these yeah. are good things like can you kind of look after yourself can you like can you do what makes you happy like all of those things but okay. i think it's a good point to say like these markers of success are not homogenous and so what makes a successful adult depends a lot on who you're asking and so the research is to do these things and out will pop a successful adult just doesn't exist. No, no, you would never get <laughs> the inputs and outputs in that study would be very difficult. Although I have to say, and I just want to reiterate this again, the, the general research behind um, attachment theory is is pretty solid. There, there mm -hmm. are some people who don't believe it even within the field of psychology, and, and that's okay. Um, but I disagree with them. And <laughs> which is also okay, <laughs> which is also okay. 
and and the things that people can do around tuning to their child around like under helping them name what their feelings are around not overreacting to those feelings or not taking them on that is is great stuff so it's worthwhile knowing that like no you're not going into this with no map at all mm-hmm. right there's not no manual there's mm-hmm. just not like a the kind of manual you get with it's your not car a formula <laughs> Yeah. It's not a formula where if you have exactly these inputs, this will pop out. Mm-mm. Like it's an art. It's not really, it's not, you can't follow a recipe, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a bit of, like we talked about in our retrospective, a bit of a begin anyhow and mm-hmm. see what fits for you and your kid. You've, you've got two different kids. I've got two different kids. Two very different kids. And the kids, <laughs> kids need different stuff. So anyone yeah. that tells you that this is going to work is just not they're just pulling your leg man yeah i will say kind of we like to end on practical takeaways mm-hmm. in terms of ending on practical takeaways to this question i think listener you did the absolute right thing by unfollowing the accounts that were messing with your mental health and make you feel horrible that is a good thing to do mm-hmm. yeah certainly if you do have friends who are in a sort of similar season or stage of life to you, um, sometimes they might have like read something or found mm-hmm. something useful, and and sometimes even just having this sort of like meta talk about like, have you also felt this overwhelm? Mm-hmm. Like, what's helped in that case? And I think partly um, one of the one of the things that I really liked from Brain Rules for Baby around the, the sleep section was, you know, there are lots of different ways to go about this. None of them has any more evidence than the other. Just pick one and stick to it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Consistency. But, yeah. Consistency is important. Consistency and predictability is really important for kids. And so you don't, like, there could be lots of things that have lots of evidence behind them or not much evidence. But if you, if something gives you some self-confidence that you're, you're not alone mm-hmm. um, in your parenting, then great. Pick that, stick to it. And mm-hmm. as long as that feels good for you, it's probably okay. Yeah, Totally. And the other thing that I think might be actually a really interesting conversation if you have a good relationship with your mom is to ask her. Mm. Like, you know, the impression you have is that she was guided by your instincts and values. Like, really, is that true? Or were there, you know, books that she read that she found really helpful that um, or people that gave her advice that she like that could be like a nice bonding conversation, I think, with a parent and also an opportunity to just feel less alone like this is a all those women in 1914 writing letters to the U.S. Children's Bureau also felt like this. So, like, this is a thing that people have been experiencing for a really long time. Yeah. Thank you so much for your question. We really appreciate it. That's it for the latest episode of Dear Dual Perspective. We'd love to hear from you. You can submit your anonymous question for a future episode in the link in our Spotify podcast description or in our Instagram bio. Follow us at Dear Dual Perspective. Music for this episode was provided by Coma Media on Pixabay. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or hear us on CJUC, Whitehorse Community Radio, on Wednesdays from 8 to 9 p.m. Thanks for listening.